On this episode of AV Week, we talk about AI and your video conferences, the future of virtual control, and Atlas IED and RTI announce a collaboration. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 581, recorded Friday, October 14th, 2022. High Tides. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. And by Just Add Power, the global leader in video over IP solutions with systems that give you easy installation, unmatched scalability, and outstanding performance. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have covered this week. First and foremost, due west of me down 70 is Samantha Potter. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Uh, we did a Woman of AV uh, podcast with uh, Samantha uh, a little over a year ago, so you can check that out. But you can also check out her podcast uh, that she has. And uh, she also works for Allen and Heath. So... Um, my audio will not be nearly as good as hers. So, <laughs> all as well. Um, also with us is uh, Jimmy Singleton. Come to us uh, from CDW by way of the uh, wonderful USC uh, campus. Uh, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. And if you're watching the video, uh, Samantha has uh, probably the best background. Jimmy has excellent guitars, um, <laughs> and I'm still smarting over the freaking bears doing what they did on Thursday night. That's all I'm going to say about that. Anyhow. All right. Sorry. I am a long suffering bears fan. Uh, first story comes to us from rave publications, Atlas IED and RTI have announced a control platform compatibility really quickly. Uh, Atlas is uh, one of our fantastic sponsors of Aviation. From the article, quote, unquote, uh, Atlas and RTI announced a compatibility uh, with Atlas's atmosphere audio processing and control system. The companies collaborated to create a control module specifically to enable RTI customers to manage atmosphere directly through the RTI control and automation system. Now, what makes this interesting and the timing of this interesting is the fact that this came right on the heels of Cedia Expo 2022. Cedia, uh, if you are not familiar and didn't listen to us two weeks ago, uh, is the residential arm of the AV industry. Cedia, the organizations, um, they support and provide education for those in the residential market, but increasingly the education, the residential market is moving into what some may fashion as light commercial but really you're looking at, at, at restaurants, hospitality, and things of that nature. Samantha, we'll start on you with this. Uh, when you look at partnerships like this, you're, you're talking about two uh, corporations, two companies, two manufacturers, who are obviously hoping to sell products in their own right, but they've recognized the fact that there might be some folks in uh, both of their camps, right, clients and, and integrators in both of their camps, that find value there. You know, what is the, the process or, or, or what does it look like when you do get two corporations coming together to kind of both sell their product, not necessarily together, right? Sales process is different, but they're developing, uh, they're developing products to assist and help their clients 
use both their products together. Yeah. So it's always a very fine line, right, of um, helping each other, but like not too much. Um, but typically when we have like, like we partner with other manufacturers, there it's like a pretty clear um, separation of what we're doing and we're handling different arms um, or facets of certain jobs. And so uh, looking into like the controllers, for instance, uh, and I think controllers are, we'll be talking about controllers a lot today, but um, like controllers just make sense and, and work well with like what we manufacture, which is audio consoles and uh, DSPs and processing and things of that sort. Um, and so that's an easy relationship uh, to begin talking with them. And sometimes it's uh, making drivers. Sometimes it's just putting out like our programming and saying, hey, uh, here's the TCP IP commands. We'll just put them on the product landing page. So anybody that wants to build anything here you go, uh, trying to make it as easy as possible. Uh, I know that with lots of other manufacturers, they want to create like a really specific like API and work with lots of those. And uh, I haven't had a chance to like build an, an, an API from, from scratch in that regard. But um, knowing that their competition is good, we want people using lots of different um, controllers, lots of different, I mean, there's no reason it should be a monopoly, right? And so I think the more that we're able to partner with people and understand we're helping each other out, the better it's going to be for the industry, for the integrators, uh, for everybody. All right, Jimmy, some kind of question here is as you're looking at, you know, the products that CDW sells, but also as somebody who, who was an end user not too long ago, looking at, at something like this, what does this do when you are from the CDW standpoint, trying to package things together, um, but also maybe from the end user side, making that easier does that help you make a decision when it comes to putting in the uh, systems uh, or does it make it more difficult to kind of choose pick and choose? I would say it definitely helps. Um, I love it. I like being able to um, choose whatever I want, you know, and not really be tied into one type of ecosystem. I think um, competition breeds innovation a lot of the time, right? And your competitors, you have to talk to each other at some point. You can't just, you know, forever uh, shut a blind eye to it. And uh, hope that you're doing better because there are plenty of things you can learn from each other, right? Um, so I think Atlas IED and you know and RTI getting together is, only offers another solution. Um, it can be overwhelming, I think, as an end user. There's so many brands out there. There's so many different options available. Um, but really, that's where you lean on partners, you know, that are from manufacturers or from integrators or whoever to kind of guide you in that process and say, hey, here's something new that came out. Um, we think it would fit your use case really well. And obviously everything comes down to that use case. So I think this is I think this is a good step. And I think a lot more companies should look at doing this, um, especially, like you said, Samantha, with APIs being everything now. Um, everybody wants to integrate with everybody all the time. I love the idea that you brought up of like the innovation. And it reminded me of that saying, um, uh, high tide rise all boats, something like that. Uh, so it's for us, at least, uh, it's great when somebody else does something and is like nailed it. And it's like, that was great. We don't have that. Do we want to do it exactly like that? Could we improve it a little bit? Might we approach it a little bit differently? Like it's, it's great for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our next story actually on, on top of that, and Samantha was right. We're going to talk about control an awful lot today. Uh, it comes from our site, the future of virtual control. One of the things about virtual control is the fact that you've got uh, a number of 
players in this space, uh, and this actually comes to us from uh, our friends at, at State of Control, Steve Greenblatt and Rich Fergoza, uh, has talked with a couple of industry experts, Nick Miller and Raj Singh, about the emergence of virtual control. Uh, from the article, which is, comes from that episode of State of Control, quote, unquote, uh, Mr. Fergoza says, a big part of it was things that are controlled now don't require as much of the black boxes and the analog interfaces. Jimmy, we're going to start with you on this. When you look at the emergence of virtual control, and, and really quickly before I get too further, when, I'm, when I say virtual control, it is the fact that you don't have a, a control processor in one room for that one room, right? It is, some people call it server level, some people call it cloud control, call it what you will, but, but, but your actual processor doesn't physically live in the room. Right, so you you've you've got uh, most likely ninety uh, percent is 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 IP control. Uh, Samantha mentioned the TCP/IP commands on, in the last story. That's exactly what we're talking about here, right? Um, so Jimmy, you know, uh, a, a number of years ago, Utelogy started doing this. I'm not going to say that they were the first because I'm not I'm not I don't remember anybody, but I don't want to say that they were a hundred percent the first. Um, but as that space has evolved, where do we think that virtual control? is kind of going um, both in, in commercial space, but also in, in education. Yeah. So I think um, you mentioned Utelogy. That was one of the, we're going to be one of the first ones I mentioned is that's what we come across the most. Right. Um, and I think we'll talk about supply chain later, but that's a big part of it too, is making sure that there's, you know, black boxes available. Um, it's hard to have a system that works off of black boxes if you can't get any of them. Um, but if you can do software control, right, you can, you can veer away from that. And that article, it has Raj in it from USC, and we had software control at USC. Um, and a big part of it, I think, is it's super helpful, super cool. Um, it's a really innovative, right? It's the newest fun thing. But I think the biggest part of it is you have to realize what kind of investment it is making, making it. It's not as simple as it used to be of, I'm going to go buy all these black boxes. I'm going to put them in one room. It's going to be self-contained. And then we're done. Um, it's now, how do I have to work with all these other teams in my enterprise, either commercially or, you know, high ed, whatever vertical you're in. But now you have to talk to the network team and you have to talk to the server team and you have to talk to every person involved that is along the way, every stakeholder along the way to say, what am I going to, how am I going to affect you by doing this? Um, so I think it gets a little more complicated, but there's a lot of pros to it, right? The remote support, the remote management, being able to do everything from a computer, not having to run to a room and physically unplug a box every time you need to fix something is great. Um, but I think there's still a long way to go. And I think obviously IT has been doing it for a long time. They figured it out. And AP's always kind of been a little slower to adopt IT practices. Um, so I think we're kind of just starting to get to the point where it's like, oh, this makes sense now. Let's let's advance it in AV. So so let me get this straight. With the a, uh, AV, I had to write this down. AV has to adopt IT practices. This is a completely true. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I about bit my tongue there because it was in my cheek. Um, Samantha, same kind of question here is, is as as we move into the IT space. Where, I mean, you know, Samantha's worked for, for Houses of Worship for, for years and obviously now working with Alan and Heath. Um, where do you see some of these hurdles as Jimmy's right? We move more into the IT space, whether it's control or we can talk about audio transport, video transport, things of that nature. Uh, 
to me, like right now, the toughest part is uh, education and trying to get people to understand what is possible and how we get there. Uh, so many of my conversations revolve around um, sort of the kind of the fundamental building blocks. And once I can get somebody on board, then they can see the opportunity that's in front of them. But that seems to be like a sometimes a hard hurdle uh, to get over with some integrators, not all of them. Um, a lot of integrators have been doing like remote management kind of stuff for forever. And so it's easy. Um, so like from Alan and Heath's side, we've tried to make it like easy to do remote management like over a WAN or uh, over the public internet um, or a private VPN, depending on your needs and trying yeah. to like with a lot of the stuff in our, in all of our commercial audio kind of vein is helping to make that transition and helping with that education uh, showing people like here's here are those fundamental building blocks, here's what you can do, uh, here's what you cannot do, um, and seeing what we can do with it. So that also includes for us, like I had mentioned, we publish like the TCP/IP commands um, to give more access to people, make things easier. Uh, we have like a GUI creation software that's free, um, just to give people more access to make it more. Um, I suppose, uh, democratic, or maybe even like egalitarian, just really giving people like, Hey, just like, go for it. Um, have fun, see what you can do. You can do it locally on a LAN or, or over a WAN, as I said. And, um, it's, we're just going to keep like, we're, there's no way we're not going in this direction. Like the ball is rolling, uh, whether it is our control protocols, um, which are, oddly enough, technologically more complicated, but, um, uh, are sometimes is more easy to understand, then our simpler like layer two protocols for audio over ethernet um, that seems to, like catch some people because it's not as overtly flexible as, you know, perhaps a, a layer three solution or things like that. Um, trying to help get all of these people on the same boat and like, okay, this is what we can do with this. If I want to do something else, I have to pick this solution. Um, but I can do IP controllers or GUIs or uh, using a computer software to just, uh, you know, type in an IP address and have access to up to a box across the country or across the globe. Standard. That's so becoming standard. And we have to make sure the whole industry um, of pro audio and AV is coming along with us. So I think there's a really cool point to that um, of just like you have when I, when I first started in AV, I was in live sound um, and I we used Allen and Heath boards all the time and they came up with the snake that could be run over an Ethernet cable. Right. Um, and to me, I was like, oh my gosh, we're in IT now. Look at us go, you know? Um, but it wasn't really IT, right? It was just us sending audio a different way. Instead of using an XLR cable, um, we were using one cat cable. Yeah. yeah. And to me, I was like, that's AV over IP. And really it's not, right? Once we talk the IP part of it, the internet protocol part of it, it expands a lot more. It's more than just being able to access what's on the network. It's about what can you do from the internet to that device uh, and then how much can you control? Yeah, I, I so many of my conversations, whether I'm writing about it for uh, ProSound Web for like Church Sound Magazine or Life's International or some of our tech like support documents or just in my conversations with Alan and Heath, um, like integrators and reps and dealers and everybody is like really distinguishing the difference between audio over ethernet and audio over IP because people are, are mushing those terms together too much. And a lot of times I'll say audio over ethernet because that's what I mean. Uh, and they'll say, wait, wait, what's that? And I said, well, audio over ethernet is like the more generic term for audio over IP. It's, it's a lesser version of it. Audio over IP is, you know, um, 
IP based uh, and not as much MAC address based. And so uh, making sure that, yeah, they, they get that. And it's for a lot of people, it's the first time they've heard that, um, that distinguish uh, that those being distinguished. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point, Jimmy. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause it's a cat cable. It's not, not the internet, right? <laughs> nope. Not, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> well, there, there are so many things to go with that. Um, I, I won't that really quickly. Um, because I've got a fantastic manufacturer on here, but I, I'm, there are some, not Alan and Heath, but there are some that will show you that we have an RJ45 on the back of this. And so it magically becomes an IT device, and that's not always the case. Um, mm-hmm. Really quickly, and either of you can, can start on this one. When, Samantha, you said education, right? Educating, the, educating is, is important because people have to understand what's possible. How then, and I'm going to take this all the way down the line to the end user, the people making this decision and working with us on a daily basis. How do we get education? First and foremost, to the to the, the integrators and the dealers and the folks putting this in and designing this, but also to the end users who are, are ultimately making the decision to go one way or the other. I, 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 can, I can go. Um <clears throat> I think that it starts with at, at, on the manufacturing side um, and having product teams that really genuinely care about the product and people's experience with the product. And it trickles down from there because then it starts the conversation about uh, training your distributors and your rep forces and your dealers and your integrators. Like it all like just flows downhill from there. But it, it, you can't do that if the manufacturer is just trying to place the product someplace and they're and they're just trying to sell a unit when they care about it, like you can always tell, um, like they, they'll just make extreme efforts in education. I know that we do lots. Um, but like, sure. Uh, and other companies uh, are trying to, I mean, automate for goodness sakes, like they're such a big, like third party proprietary protocol because they pushed free education so much that now it's like, oh yeah, well that's where you, that's a st- you go get your cert. And, uh, that's, I mean, it's a manufacturer's game is if you care, it will trickle down uh, and then it eventually gets to the integrator. So the, the product team and the manufacturers, I think, is key. Yeah. And I would I would add to that that there's I think there's a side on the business development of whether you're integrator, distributor, reseller, whatever, whatever you are before it gets to the end user. Right. Is how does that business development manager's job change to also provide ways to get that education, right? It's, you know, more than just getting a sale. That's what an account manager's for. The account manager's there to push boxes and get as much money as possible. Um, but the business development manager should be looking at how do I establish relationships between my manufacturers and the customer I'm trying to help and how much education can I get them? Um, and really, like you said, it comes down to the manufacturer and a lot of it's free. A lot of it's, you know, they treat you well when they bring you out to train you. Um, you know, they take you to dinner and stuff like that. It's not like it's a bad thing to get training. Um, so there's always good options for it. All right. Uh, final story here comes to us from, um, AV magazine. Hudley has premiered its first AI director for video meetings, uh, from the article, the Hudley multi-camera experience engages participants like a movie engages its audience. Just as directors place the viewer right where the action takes place, Hudley's AI director attempts to give those joining remotely the feeling of being in the room, making them invested and actively engaged. Now, Samantha, when I when I first read this, I was like, well, that's 
Yeah, meeting equity. And I'm, I'm a big fan of meeting equity because, you know, um, on my day job at, at CTI, we've got, you know, probably about a fourth of our folks are, are remote. Uh, so you absolutely want to make sure that, that they feel engaged and involved. Um, and even though, you know, a fourth of our folks do not live in St. Louis, there are days that we're all remote, right? Because, you know, it depends on where you are. However, as I keep reading into this, it's the AI part that gets me. Um, and, and when I sent the stories out to you, you, you guys, I, I simply asked the questions, how do we feel about AI in our meetings? So Samantha, I, I won't pull any tricks here. I'll ask the same question. How do we feel about AI in our meetings? It feels like a really neat answer on the surface. Uh, I've had several conversations about AI and, in um, audio and all this other stuff and how we kind of approach that. And it's defining AI is almost like a totally separate conversation, but, um, I love the idea of it. I'm just, I'm always a little bit hesitant on relying on uh, machines a little bit too much. Uh, and so a few years ago, for many years, um, I helped, uh, I worked at this seminary that had two campuses, one in Oklahoma City and one here in Kansas City. And they had synchronous online classes uh, with faculty and students on both sides. And so uh, it was our job to basically like produce and, and connect these courses so they could have students and teachers in different states uh, attending the same class. Um, and we had what essentially were many producers in each classroom, like making that happen, like moving the cameras, like following along, learning the rhythms and the pace of everything. And as technology developed, uh, more smart stuff started coming out. We didn't have to have uh, people in there as much. Is it the same experience? Like, I, I don't know. I haven't experienced it myself so much to know like, oh yeah, this is replacing a producer of sorts uh, or somebody's job doing it. It's not quite there, but I am really excited about the idea of trying exactly what you said, Tim, trying to give everybody an equal experience, uh, particularly for when you're mixing uh, remote and like groups or rooms, like that's the hard part because people on yeah. the remote side, they're having a great time no matter what seeing each other. Um, but it's the room when there's 10 people in it, um, that complicates things. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Uh, Jimmy, same question is, is how do we feel about, you know, uh, um, as Samantha said, letting the machines, uh, kind of run our meetings. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're taking anybody's job anytime soon. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of progress made. Honestly, we see like tracking cameras and stuff like that. And those are all using AI, um, to either capture faces or to capture audio and point a camera in a certain direction. Um, Hudley's definitely not the first company to do that. Um, they're kind of the first to really do all-inclusive switching, which is cool. Um, but I think there's still a great use case. Those people that want to do an in-person producer probably aren't messing around with two cameras in a room, right? Um, there's six cameras. There's a bunch of different views. There's a bunch of different people. Um, different different things to focus on. But I deal with high-ed customers all day long, and they say, I want a camera at the front of the room, and I want a camera at the back of the room, and I don't want to have to switch it. Um, I'm like, okay, there's a perfect use case for it, right? It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the most flawless, you know, $1,000, um, you know, versus, you know, production, um, but it's going to be good enough, um, especially for education purposes, for meeting equity purposes. I think there's I think there's still a long way to go with it, but I think they're in the right direction. So I like it. Jimmy, you mentioned something really quickly. I, I, I'll just throw that, this out here real quick before we get out of here. 
you mentioned the auto focusing on auto tracking cameras. They, they, those are already out there, right? And it, it's there are other people that, that think you know more conspiratorial about that. But you've you've got um, cameras that are maybe 4K, right, or or um, UHD, right, um, and they are they're able to kind of break down the the image. Uh, they don't spit out a 4K image; they spit out a 1080 image, right? Because they're breaking that up. And, and if, if if Jimmy and I are in the same room, technically, right, that camera then can split up and he have have he and I side by side, right? Uh, because the, there's smarts in the in that camera. Same thing where if there's three of us in the room, it could track and say, okay, you know what, Tim wasn't paying attention, but the other two were were 100% engaged all the time. Um, is this better, worse than, than that? Or is, you know, because there, there are some privacy issues, you know, um, there are other privacy issues because there are some that will tell whether or not you have a fever. That's a whole nother conversation yeah. about, you know, uh, HIPAA and things of that nature. Yeah. yeah I'd, uh, I'd be curious if it's, um, I don't know. I don't know how much of it privacy. I don't know if I get too many complaints about that. I think there's, I think there's definitely people who are kind of going down that road, but I think there's more of a matter of like making sure people are engaged. Right. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily want to be the person in the room that looks like I'm yawning and zoning out. Uh, and then the camera's focused on my face the whole time. You know, I don't love that idea, <laughs> but you know, what can, what can the AI learn to know when to do that and when not to do that? Um, and I don't think it's there yet um, to, to really determine the difference. And I was just in a room last week um, where it had the tracking where it could find like up to mm, like eight faces or something like that and would like tile yeah. them. And it's all fun and games while it's working. But then the, like some people that were that used it all the time had a couple of comments like, yeah, until it like focuses on something that's like not a face. Um, or it's like a different part of a person's body and then it's kind of awkward and it's like, how do you fix this? You don't, you wait for the computer to fix it. Uh, so that's not great. Uh, that's definitely a part where it starts to feel a little uh, creepy is probably the word I'd use a little like, eh, I don't love this because a person would never like another human yeah. would never do that. Um, but that'll come with, with progress. Uh, it won't always do that, but for now, yes, I think it's a good transitional space for us. It's not the best answer for everything. Um, but for certain things, it's great. And that's, well, that's the thing with AI too, is that AI is learning, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's its job is to take information and learn continuously forever until it's perfect. Um, or, you know, perfect is where we can imagine it. Um, so like it's going to continually make those mistakes and every single product that gets released is going to have to relearn again. It may start from a certain point, but it's going to keep learning. And that's the whole purpose of it. So so here's the conspiracy part of that, Jimmy. That's the problem. It's going to keep <laughs> learning. <so. laughs> and then it's Skynet all over and we have no control. All right. Uh, thank you both so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Samantha Potter, thank you. Uh, how do people connect with you or Alan and Heath? Uh, if I'm on the social media platform, my handle or uh, URL will always be Potter Audio. Uh, but also want to make sure you check out Church Sun Podcast um, and Pro Sun Web in general. Our publications are always free. Uh, they're digital, always educational. Uh, definitely not uh, just trying to educate people. Um, and if you are interested in learning 
more um, having like small format casual conversations about tech in the Allen and Heath world. Uh, we have mini masterclasses every Wednesday uh, over Zoom where people can just come and hang out, uh, ask questions. We have office hours uh, or learn a little bit about a um, specific kind of event like ambient noise compensation or um, automatic mic mixing, uh, things of that sort. And I, I, this, is a, this is a shameless plug because I'm not involved with it, but uh, there's a handful of, of podcasts that I am a subscriber to and I listen to on a weekly and monthly basis. And Church Sound uh, is absolutely one of those. So thank you. Uh, absolutely check that out. So um, Mr. Singleton, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you or CDW? Yeah, thank you. Um, find me on social medias, uh, Jimmy Singleton. Uh, my name is spelled with an IE at the end. It's real tricky. Um, so keep that. Uh, reach out to me there. Um, I don't have a podcast, um, but I do write articles and stuff randomly. So I post about those on social media. Um, I'm at a lot of the local trade shows and all over the nation, just kind of wandering around. So if you see me, say hi and uh, let's let's chat. Um, CDW, you can always reach out. I'm sure you've probably worked with us at one point or another. Um, so reach out to your contacts and ask to loop me in, and I'll be glad to talk. Is is it Joe's Joe's still a thing? You know, it it comes and goes. Uh, oh. Let it let it live. You know, maybe it'll come back. So for those of you wondering, Joe Way, uh, who who Jimmy used to work with, um, Jimmy and another uh, fantastic young uh, lady uh, put together a it's Joe's Joe. Twitter handle. So it was Joe and his coffee. Um, and it was better than anything Joe Way ever put on Twitter. I'm going to say that. All right. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters because I'm still complaining about the fact that the Bears couldn't pull off a freaking win over the one and four Washington Commanders. But go by the website if you would, please, because it's back up now. Yeah, y'all, we got a new website. Well, we got a new web server. Um, and as I told someone yesterday while it was still down, uh, our, our our fantastic IT department was moving our website from one server to another. They dropped it, and it fell into a thousand pieces, and they were sitting on the server room floor, piecing it back together with bubble gum, bailing wider, and super glue. Well, that got done, <laughs> and the uh, website's back up and running. So you'll check it out if you would, please. Avionation.tv, that's avionation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. Speaking of those others, uh, we have a brand spanking new host of our EdTech show. Uh, her name is Erin Mary Moran. Uh, she is from Johns Hopkins University, also a member of the HETMA board. So check that out. Uh, also, Taylor uh, has a brand new AV profession. So check all that out and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week. 